I was quite frankly sick and tired of successful leaders telling me that showing emotion should cause shame and that it was a sign of weakness. Welcome to Hardly Working, a podcast about how we can improve work, life, and everything in between. These are recordings from live conversations on Fishbowl, a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can join us live next time on the Fishbowl app. We have events every day. All right, let's get right into it. Welcome, everyone, officially. Thank you for joining us today. I'm joined by Carolyn Stern. Um, My name is Emily Sung, and I lead our recruiting operations team here at Glassdoor. But today is not about me. It's all about Carolyn. And um, to intro her a little bit, uh, she currently is the president and CEO of EI Experience, which is an executive leadership development and emotional intelligence training firm. She's a certified emotional intelligence and leadership development expert, a professional speaker, and university professor. So hefty resume there. She has also provided comprehensive training programs to business leaders across the te- across all industries, including tech companies, finance, manufacturing, advertising, education, healthcare, government, and many, many more. Um, but most recently, and what we're here to talk about is the book, her new book, um, The Emotionally Strong Leader. And to kind of kick it off, Carolyn, love to hear, right? Um, most people would think that the words emotional and strong are pretty contradictory. Um, in your book, you talk a little bit about why you disagree. I love to hear, why do you disagree? Well, I think people can be emotional and strong. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, Being emotional basically is someone who feels things deeply about things and has strong reactions. And I don't know about you, Emily, but I'm a very emotional person, but I'm also a very strong business person. And so you can learn to be in the driver's seats of your emotions. And why I wrote the book, The Emotionally Strong Leader, an inside out journey to transformational leadership was I was quite frankly, sick and tired of people, successful leaders telling me that showing emotion um, should cause shame and that it was a sign of weakness. And I wanted people to realize that it's about gaining the emotional skills to enhance your capacity to leave with strength and kindness. So my books will equip you with like tested skills and strategies to do just that. So it's really using a simple set of emotional skills and mental strategies to be bigger and more intelligent than your emotions. And I think if we can learn mental strategies um, and not let our emotional brain take over, we can learn to be smarter than our emotions. And when I mean stronger, I don't mean strong arming your feelings or having a steely resolve not to feel. I simply mean that you need to work to acknowledge understand, accept that we all feel things, right? And identify that our feelings contain lots of wisdom. And if you can use that information to guide your behaviors when confronted with emotional triggers, um, that you can tend, you, you might, you know, leads you to hasty reactions or undisciplined behavior. If you learn the mental skills and the emotional skills to be bigger than your emotions, you can be bigger than those emotional triggers. And that's why I wrote the book. Thank you. And um, I know I definitely related to that quite a bit. And and thank you for sharing and, and for writing the book in general. You touched a little bit about, you know, training your mental skills and training your emotions. Why do you think it's so hard for some folks sometimes to, to manage their emotions? And, you know, what impact does this have on their careers or their own businesses and, and their roles at companies? Well, I think, quite frankly, Emily, we don't spend enough time thinking about our emotions. The two biggest questions I ask in the book, and by the way, the book has a series of worksheets that I take people through. So it's a a workbook in addition to a a book. And then at the back of the book, there is a companion course. There's a QR code that you you take a picture of, and it takes you to um, our companion course, which has seven videos and an additional workbook. But really what what the book is about is teaching people to learn to manage their emotions. I mean, I think we've been hoodwinked all these years into believing that our emotions are dirty and that expressing them is a shameful act and nothing could be further from the truth. Your emotions are full of wisdom when we pay attention to them and look for the meaning inside them. 
And feelings can provide incredible insights, right, into our internal, internal psyche and the external world around us. The challenge is people are so afraid of emotions. And I like to think of emo- uh, feelings as data. So think of how advertising agencies use consumer behavior as data to make good strategic choices to encourage us to buy their stuff, right, their products and services. Well, it's the same thing with our feelings. If we can use emotions as data to make good behavioral choices, that's the key. And so the two big questions I ask in the book, and I'd ask all your listeners right now, which is, what are you feeling in this moment? Name a one-word feeling. And by the way, fine is not a feeling. It's a state of being. Or good or bad is not a feeling. I want you to think of emotion words like overwhelmed, tired, happy, excited, content, calm. All of those are emotion words. And whatever you're feeling, what is that emotion telling you about you? And I think that the only way to genuinely understand our emotions is to spend enough time thinking through them to figure out not only where they come from, but why they're there. And it's, it's what we need to learn is that our emotions are, have an incredible amount of insights. And if we can use that data to learn more about ourselves, others, and the world, we'd live in a much better place. I know I definitely resonated with that emotion chart that you also have in your book um, that you have displayed because I'm guilty even myself of saying, oh, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing good. I'm doing bad. So actually listening in emotion is truly a key strength. Um, It leads me to my next question, right? Um, Emotional intelligence and and defining your emotions help grow your emotional intelligence. Do you have any advice around how folks can grow their emotional intelligence and why this is so important, why it's a priority? Well, as a university professor for the last 25 years, I know we don't teach this in schools. In fact, it took me five years to lobby to get an emotional intelligence course in the School of Business at, at the university I teach at because the faculty said it wasn't academic enough. And the challenge is, we, you and I both know, you working at Glassdoor, me working in, with lots of industries, it's your IQ that might get you the job, that gets your foot in the door, but it's your EQ that's going to get you promoted. Why? Why is that? Because our EQ has to deal with our emotional intelligence, being more intelligent about our emotions. And when you are dealing with people, you are dealing with people with emotions, with creatures of emotion. And so unlike our IQ, which peaks at 17 or 18, our EQ rises as we get older. And the good news is um, one study showed that it peaks in our 60s. So your emotional intelligence and all your listeners right now can, can enhance and develop their emotional intelligence right now. And in the book, what I try to get everyone to do is figure out what is their baseline? What right now, at this moment in time, how are you faring with what's going on in the world? How are you handling it? emotionally, socially, and otherwise. And then once you know what your baseline is, then you need to figure out, you know, what what needs attention. And so in the book, I get people to kind of figure out what am I strong in? What am I not so strong in? Because think about it. You asked me earlier, what impact does it have on our career? What impact does EI have on our careers? How we feel at work, Emily, affects how we perform at work. And I think what I was sick and tired of is it's time to knock down the stigma that sharing our emotions and being honest about how we're feeling is a sign of weakness. It's time for our corporate world to stop encouraging people to stuff their feelings down while at work. I mean, it's really time to make friends with our feelings. Because if we stop being so scared of our emotions, because let's be honest, (laughs) feelings are just feelings. They're not good or bad, right or wrong. They're just an emotional reaction or experience to a trigger, whether that's a person, thing, or situation. And if we stop being so afraid of them, we can, and look for the wisdom they provide us, it can change how we connect, communicate, and lead. I completely agree with that. And being so aware of your emotions, especially in the workplace, in short, could potentially even help manage some burnout and, you know, feeling some stress and having stress, appropriate stress management as at work and, you know, fostering that work-life balance as well. I know in your book, you also state that there's five distinct areas of EI specifically. I think they are self-perception, self-expression, interpersonal, decision-making, and stress management. 
how can people decide which one they need to work on? I know you spoke a little bit about identifying where you are now, but how do you identify, you know, which one you need to work on the most, which one needs area of improvements, um, you know, where you really excel and more? Let me start by saying in the book, we talk, we ask the, the reader to uh, go through all 15 uh, different emotional intelligent competencies. So there are five distinct areas, exactly what you said, self-perception, self-expression, interpersonal decision-making, and stress management. But underneath each of those five areas, there are three emotional intelligence skills. So let's take self-perception, for instance. This is about how we see ourselves. So self-perception is is composed of self-regard, self-actualization, and emotional self-awareness. So I want your listeners to ask themselves right now, are you confident and self-assured? Are you fulfilled in your life? And do you set and achieve goals? And are you aware of how you're feeling in any given moment? So are you aware of your triggers? If the answer to any of those questions is no, that might be an area that you need some attention with. In self-expression, this is really our communication skills. This is how we express ourselves to others. And that's made up of three skills, emotional expression, assertiveness, and independence. So again, three questions to ask yourself is, do you express how you're feeling appropriately and constructively? Or when you're angry, do you swear and yell? Are you assertive? Do you stand up for yourself? If not, why not? If you're like me and my, my lowest competency or my lowest skill that I always struggle with, no matter how many years I've been doing this, and by the way, I've been studying this for over two decades, and I too, I'm not sitting here on the other end of this phone saying I've got it all figured out. I too struggle with this, and I work every day at trying to be better. What I struggle with is independence, which is caring too much about what others think. And why do I struggle with this? Because I had a very overprotective mother. And so as a child, I kind of never learned how to stand on my own two feet. And by the way, everyone on this call has that, has some kind of, their upbringing has made them the person they are today, for good or for bad. And it's just figuring out where is, where are you strong in? Where are you not so strong in? Um, The third area is interpersonal, which is really about, you know, Do you know how to build interpersonal relationships? Are you good at um, having a fair amount of empathy for others? And, you know, what is your social responsibility like? So again, listeners, ask yourself these three questions. Do you have a difficult time making connections? If so, why? If not, why not? You know, are you able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes? Do you like to give back and be helpful to the greater community? These are the kinds of questions you look at with interpersonal, which is really about your social skills. The fourth component is decision-making, which is really about how do you make decisions when emotions are involved? So this is our decision-making skills. And the three competencies or skills that make up um, this composite scale is problem-solving, right? Um, Are you aware of your emotional state when making decisions? Um, The second one is reality testing. Do you let your emotions cloud your objectivity, right? Do you live in la-la land? Do you need a reality check? And the third one is impulse control. Are you able to control your impulses during those times, right? And so, you know, how many of us, you know, lash out and send the snotty email before we think it through or interrupt people? The last component is really stress management, which is really you know, how well do you cope with change, the unfamiliar and your daily challenges? I mean, think back to the pandemic over the last almost three years, you know, how well did everyone handle that? It's about how well you manage it. Um, And so the three areas in this composite scale is flexibility. So how adaptable are you? You know, do you adapt well to change or uncertainty? You know, stress tolerance is how well do you cope with stress? And are you resilient in those trying times? And the last one is optimism. And are you able to remain hopeful about the future? So it's really once you figure out where you're strong in, where you're not so strong in, and somewhere in the book, I talk a lot about the dark side, right? We can be too much of something. So let's take self-regard, for instance, which is about being confident and self-assured. Well, if you're too confident, you have an inability to admit mistakes. You might be a narcissist. So it's really about, Emily, finding that sweet spot of where am I strong, a healthy level of of emotional intelligence, where am I um, 
weak or my comp, my skill is underutilized or where am I too strong that my strength actually becomes a liability? Well, I've never thought about it from that perspective where, you know, it, it's true, it's a sliding scale, but leaning too much to one side or the other can really hinder, you know, your ability to perform at work and, you know, realizing and being in touch with those emotions is so hyper important. I know for the aspect of stress management, my partner will tell me first that I'm totally stressed out before I even recognize my own emotions. Um, and in efforts to do so, do you have any guidance around learning to recognize your emotions and, you know, potentially changing your reactions um, to them? And how can people potentially um, do this or be better at this or quote unquote fix this? Yeah, well, I mean, if stress management is one area that you struggle with, one of the strategies I would recommend is take a sheet of paper and um, throughout the day, three times throughout the day, take a sheet of paper and create four columns. In one column, put um, the, the title emotions and start to identify throughout the day. You know, we break for lunch or we break to stretch, but how often do we check in with how we're feeling? So three times throughout the day, check in with how you're feeling. And then in the second column, I would write a trigger. What triggered that feeling? So let's say, um, Emily, your boss comes in and gives you an unrealistic deadline, okay? And you're feeling angry. So in column one, under emotion, you would put angry. In column two, you would put the trigger, which is an unrealistic deadline. And in column three, you would say, okay, how am I going to respond to this? So now I have a choice, right? If I create space and be an observer and go, okay, rather than looking, feeling the emotion and letting the emotion drive me, I'm going to step outside the emotion and look from it from as an observer, as an objective bystander. And if I can say, okay, I have two options here. I can tell my boss to screw off. That's one response. And what's the impact, which is the fourth column? Well, the impact of that would be my I might lose my job or I might get written up for insubordination. But a high EQ response or a high emotionally intelligent response could be, hey, I'm gonna say to my boss, no problem, I can can I can finish this project by the end of the day. But you know that other project you gave me, that'll have to wait till next week. So that's my my high EQ response, which is in the third column. I then need to figure out what's the impact of that. Well, my boss might not love my answer, but they'll respect me for setting a boundary. And so by you figuring out what your emotion is, which is in uh, column one, your trigger is in column two, your response is in column three, and your impact is in column four, you can then make a choice to say, hey, what would a high EQ response be? And what would the impact be? And what would an low EQ response be? And what would the impact be? And then once you write that out, you'll have the wisdom on which one to know to do. You know, you wouldn't want to lose your job. So you might want to have a calm, rational conversation with your boss to let them know that you've got a lot on your plate and you're happy to get this deadline done, but you do need some time for the other project. Wow, that is so insightful. I'm going to go home and and work on those worksheets because I have some examples off the top of mind now (laughs) where I could probably respond a little bit better with higher EQ. Next question I have for you, and this is pulled directly from your book a bit as well, is that you talk about a variety of ways that people can foster their EI skills, so their emotional intelligence skills. Integrating positive habits daily, taking time to rest, and avoiding the word but. Can you talk a little bit more about some of those strategies? Why do they work? You know, what, why do they drive so much success? Well, a lot of the strategies are quite simple, but they're not always easy. And so one of the reasons why in the book I get people to figure out what is their emotional makeup. So you've already identified, Emily, that your partner says your stress tolerance might not be your strongest skill. And so that might be an area that you want to work on is your stress tolerance. So in the book, we provide actually 60 different strategies. So depending on which which skill you're struggling with, the book will give you some tools on how to work that. So for stress tolerance, for instance, you might want to prioritize your daily tasks and eliminate the non-essentials. So for instance, my question is, look at your calendar right now. Are you someone that says yes to everything? If so, 
maybe you need to set some boundaries. And a boundary really is what is okay and what's not okay. So a really great way of setting a boundary is rather than saying, no, I can't do it, you can say yes and. So yes, I'm happy to help you and I don't have the bandwidth right now. Or yes, I'm happy to help you with project A and project X will have to wait till next week. So that's setting some boundaries. So it's really figuring out in your calendar and your schedule, you know, are you prioritizing the most important tasks? So right now, Emily, one of the questions I would ask you is, when are you your best self? Are you a morning person or are you a night hawk? What would that be? I am totally a morning person. And I do want to mention, you wrote, you just read me like a book. I do not set healthy boundaries and I say yes to everything. Well, okay. So here, you're a morning person. So you do your best work in the morning. So my question to you is, are you setting up your calendar to do the things that Glassdoor sees the most value you bring to them at that time in the morning. So an interesting, funny fact is I'm a Nighthawk. And what I realized when I wrote this book is I'm a brilliant writer at three in the morning. Ask me to write a sentence at eight in the morning. I have a whole, I'm not as strong. And so what I realized is I needed to write this book at three in the morning because that's when I'm my best self. So time is finite, but energy is not. So are you doing your best work, the areas that you bring the most value to your organization at your best times? The other thing is, are you engaging in self-care? Are you doing things like taking care of your body and mind, which will help you become more stress tolerant? And those are simple things like a healthy diet, regular exercise, right? A solid sleep. All of those things can help help us manage our stress and deal with stress better. Another thing that you can do is, you know, as I said, say no to the non-essentials. Is there anything in your calendar right now that you're saying yes to that you should be saying no to? Figure out what you can do there. So there's, those are just some, some techniques, even just for stress tolerance. But remember, there are 15 different emotional intelligence skills, and it depends on what needs your attention. And that's why we gave I wrote 60 different strategies for for our readers so that they can figure out, okay, what what is it that needs my attention? And what am I too strong in? What am I not strong enough in? And how do I improve my emotional intelligence? The good news is you can always enhance it. Every year I take the exercises that I, I wrote in the book, I take myself through them. And every year I have different skills that I need to work on. The, the one skill that no matter what, how many years I do this is independence. It's my Achilles heel. It's the area that I struggle with the most. And probably some of your listeners have that, that one area um, that you struggle with um, that gets in your way of being your best self. That's the area I spend the most amount of time on. And so for instance, for me, it's, it's really caring too much about what people think. So obviously, what do I need to do? Stop caring what people think right? I need to trust my own judgments and trust myself and trust my decisions. And that sounds easy maybe to you, but for me, who's, who cares so much about what people think, it's not so easy. So like I said, these are simple strategies, but not always easy. And they take work. And just like working out at the gym, where we're trying to build our muscles at the gym, if I want bigger biceps, I need to do bigger bicep curls or more bicep curls. It's the same thing with our emotional muscles. We all have all 15 of these muscles inside of us. Just some of them are underutilized. So the goal is to figure out what exercises you need to do to enhance your skills so that you can become more emotionally intelligent. Thank you for providing that just beautiful insight. And for those who may not relate to the independence piece or stress management, you can purchase um, Caroline's book, The Emotionally Strong Leader, on Amazon, um, also on her website, and it's all linked um, at the end of this call as well. So, you know, in your book, The Emotionally Strong Leader, you write about what leading with emotional intelligence looks like. Can you explain that and provide us some examples of what leading with emotional intelligence actually looks like? Yeah, absolutely. Well, leading with the EI is really that magnetic attraction that captures everyone's attention and moves teams forward, right? Think about the people that spark passion and ignite that flame inside of you. Those are people that are tapping into your heartstrings and know what 
what makes you motivated and knows what makes you tick. And these are leaders that have exceptional, not only self-awareness, but they have a lot of empathy for others. They ask really deep questions to figure out, you know, three of my top favorite questions, Emily, to ask every employee is, are these three questions. What do you need to feel connected to me and the team? What do you need to feel appreciated for your efforts? And what do you need to feel fulfilled in your role? And then I shut up and listen, because <laughs> that gives me the roadmap of how to lead them. And so I really think that leaders, and you know, because I coach for a living, I hear so many leaders thinking that they need to be the problem-solving hero. They need to come in and fly in and save the day. No, uh, leaders with high emotional intelligence have exceptional self-awareness. They are better able to control their actions. They have more empathy for others. They manage their stress better. They build healthier relationships. They nurture those relationships based on trust and compassion. I mean, like they actively listen to people. They can put themselves in somebody else's shoes. They see things from other people's perspective. And they also lead with humility. I mean, think about it. They, when I make a mistake, I publicly admit when I make a mistake. I ask my team for input and help. You know, I can give my team specific praise and constructive feedback to help them grow. And I'm, I'm also always uh, open to feedback on how I can be better as a leader. So I'm modeling the way and speaking confidently in meetings, encouraging everyone else to do the same. And so this is helping people to stop going along with unilateral decisions, right? You're teaching your employees to be assertive, to have confidence, to be self-directed. All of these things are not taught in school, right? So much ado has been about IQ in our school system, and so little has, has, has been about our EQ, our emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligent leaders really see opportunities in every challenge. So think about, do you have a growth mindset? Are you noticing and, and articulating and regulating your emotions so your teens will do the same? You know, are you using your emotions to help solve problems? You know, are you thinking objectively and letting your emotions not cloud your judgment? Are you setting clear boundaries? As you said, you struggle with that, Emily. I mean, let's be honest, physical boundaries are blurred now. Some of us are still working from home. And so we need to set really good boundaries and model a way of taking care of our physical and mental health because we understand the positive impact emotional well-being has on our organizations and our life. And listen, you don't have to be perfect. Here's the thing. We're human first before we're a leader and an employee. And you need to start realizing that all of us need to recognize, understand, label, express, and manage our emotions. And none of us, including me, ever had an emotional education. I just took it upon myself for the last two decades is to learn these things on my own and to study it. And that's what help is helping me influence my external behaviors because now I'm smarter than my feelings. I'm starting to say, hey, what am I feeling? What is that feeling telling me about me? And what can I do about it? Why am I feeling this way? And how can I act um, constructively and appropriately in these trying times? Kellen, it's so apparent you're you're so passionate um, about this subject and about EI. What's how did you become interested in EI itself? You, you noticed so many times that it's, it's not taught in school. Only IQ is taught in school. Um, what makes you so passionate about it, and how did you become interested in EI? Well, you know, for many decades, and I write in the book that my emotions ran havoc in my life. I have a laundry list of undesirable consequences because my emotions really took over and ran amok. But just because I'm an emotional person, right, that I feel things deeply, does not make me weak. What was the problem was I wasn't paying attention to or understanding or managing my emotions. That's what was ruining my life, not the fact that I felt or still feel things strongly. And so I realized that my emotions are not the enemy, nor are they a sign of, of weakness. In fact, I think demonstrating vulnerability, speaking your truth, and telling others how you really feel is, is your superpower. And so what I found early on in my teaching career, so I was a high school teacher in my early 20s, and I had this class, uh, an entrepreneurship class, where the students had to run a school-based business. 
And I realized very quickly, you know, I was probably 26, 27 at the time. So I was only about seven or eight years older than these students. And at the very first day of class, I had these two students that um, got into a fist fight in my own class. And in the book, I ta- I call, you know, I've obviously changed their names to protect their anonymity. So I named them Cindy and Kyle in the book. But they were well known for their poor behavior in this class. Like Cindy was defiant and she had a wicked temper. Kyle was large and used his intimidating stature to bully people and coerce others to get his way. And here, like I said, on the very first day of class, when we were discussing what type of business we were going to run, the pair of them got into a fistfight. And then I realized that after the incident, I reflected on the fact that how are these kids going to listen to me? I'm only a few years older than them. My thought was they probably had been written off by their teachers and authority figures as challenging. And because of that, they were never given a chance to show the world what they could do. So I had a crazy idea, Emily. And what I did was I made Cindy the VP of production and Kyle the VP of human resources for our our school business. And I knew Cindy had a lot of friends in the school and the class. So why not make her responsible for the operations of the business where she could use her influence to spark engagement, productivity, and innovation. And I knew because of his size, Kyle was a big kid, he could intimidate, you know, he intimidated others. So why not make him the person responsible for managing all the students in the class using his words, not his stature to guide and stimulate ideas and motivate others. And my colleagues, I'll be honest, Emily thought I was crazy. How could I give the most two most challenging students, the the two that got into a fist fight, two of the most important roles in the business? As the VPs, they were responsible for locking and unlocking the business every day, counting the dollars that we earned, paying our vendors, scheduling the students, you know, for after hour shifts, you know, assessing their performance and driving all the marketing efforts. And listen, this was a tremendous amount of responsibility and work above and beyond what was expected of their classmates. But here's the here's the key. I wanted Cindy and Kyle to genuinely feel cared for, connected to something larger than themselves, appreciated for their efforts and fulfilled in their roles. And let me tell you, it was hard for all concerned. I put in many hours and energy trying to learn precisely what made them tick and who and made them who they were. And I wasn't trying to change them, but I was simply trying to understand them and listening openly with empathy with what they were saying. And here, lo and behold, Um, You know, Kyle and Cindy, they had to build new habits and let go of their defaulted reactions, right, where where their reactions weren't serving them any well, uh, serving them um, well anymore. And it was a challenge for them to be open to my feedback that I provided them um, and to self-reflect to see, you know, on how they were performing and to reapply the learning the next day. But long story short, not only did, did we make record sales in the history of the school board for a school, a, a student-run business, these kids were even highlighted in the local paper um, because it also, the climax of the story is Cindy actually was uh, named first in class. So she, was, she went from being sort of worst in class to first in class. And she was chosen by all the teachers in the school as the most improved student in school. And that's when I learned the valuable lesson that if I could connect on an emotional level and create trustworthy, caring, genuine connections, I could change their lives. I could change my lives. And that's what I did. I established meaningful connections with my students moving forward. I engaged in conversations not only about their emotions, but about um, how their reactions were impacting them. Um, I helped guide them to come up with better business practices. And that's when I realized my passion for emotional intelligence. And ever since then, I've been connecting with my students on an emotional level and and really paying attention to how people feel. Because how you feel in the classroom or the boardroom affects how you perform in the classroom or the boardroom. Wow, that is truly inspiring, and I'm so touched by um, Kyle and Cindy's story and, you know, just giving giving the tools, right, to set them up for success, which so many teachers had not done before. It's just, wow, truly inspiring. One of the questions that we did get from the audience today was that, you know, we wanted to touch upon 
seeing if there's a big difference between men and women in the workplace and how they handle their emotional intelligence. Do you have any insight of how gender plays a role in emotional intelligence and how that reflects in the workplace? Now, there's been a lot of of studies done, but I think it really depends on your upbringing. So if you were um, brought up in, um, you know, so that's why I always like to start with an assessment. Yes, can I say that a lot of the the senior male leaders that I teach probably struggle with emotional expression in my experience. Yes, that has been my experience that more of the men that I coach tend to struggle with expressing how they feel, probably because their upbringing was more, you know, be a big boy, suck it up, uh, buttercup, right? Like that was kind of their upbringing. But if you grew up in a family, regardless of gender, with that kind of tone, right? Suck it up, buttercup, regardless of gender, then you're also going to struggle with emotional expression. And emotional expression is really being able to constructively express your emotions. So for instance, not only do you, when you're angry, do you swear and yell, but do you also, are you comfortable saying I love you to someone? Are you comfortable sharing how you feel? If you're not, chances are, regardless of whether, um, Uh, you know, whatever your gender is and what you identify as, you're going to, if you never learned that at home, we certainly aren't teaching that at schools. Let's be honest, Emily, I'm, I'm giving students stress. I'm not teaching them how to manage it as an instructor. I'm putting them in teams. I'm not teaching them how to work within those teams, right? And think about when you were in school, my guess is if you had a problem with your group, what did the teacher say? Figure it out. But you know, probably because the teacher didn't know how to figure it out themselves. We've never had these emotional conversations. And what I do in my classes is I take each person and say, okay, Emily, what's going on for you? How are you feeling about what Sally did? You know, what, what triggers did that bring up? You know, why are you feeling what you're feeling? And then I asked Sally the same thing, having those emotional conversations and getting to the heart of the issues, right? Think about it. We're all like an inner iceberg. We all have, I call it in the book, an inner iceberg. When you think of the Titanic and what what sunk that unsinkable ship, it wasn't the ice above the water. It was the ice below the water. And we're all a lot like an iceberg. What you see is just the tip of the iceberg. You see our behaviors, you see our communication. But what you don't see is our inner iceberg, which is our, our personal beliefs. You don't see our our attitudes, our concerns, our stressors, our motivators, right? You don't see any of that. Our unconscious biases, that's all underneath the surface. And so all I do is teach people to have those conversations, those open on conversations about what does stress you out in the office? What does motivate you? What, you know, what, what are your concerns? So remember in math class, Emily, your teacher used to say, show your work. Remember? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And how you figured out to solve the problem. Well, it's the same thing with emotions. Rather than just telling me the answer, your decision to a to a situation, why don't you show me your work and tell me why you made that decision? And so what emotional intelligence does is teach people, here's why I made this decision, because I felt X was better than Y. You know, here are my concerns about X versus Y. Here is what motivated me. When we have those conversations, then you learn a lot more about me rather than just the decision that was made. And so to answer, you know, a long-winded way, there is, yes, there are differences that I have seen in gender, but really what it's more about is your upbringing. How were you raised? Were you raised in a family that felt comfortable talking about emotions? Or were you raised in a family that um, did not? Because that's going to affect how you show up in the workplace. Wow, that a lot resonated with me there. Um, Going back to not having boundaries, I grew up in a family that had completely open door policy. We overshared and, you know, struggled with boundaries. And I'm, you know, as you're describing that self-awareness that we talked about and you talk about in your book as well quickly realizing that maybe boundaries was difficult growing up and hence why boundaries may be a little bit difficult now um, in the workplace for myself. Really great insight, Emily. So the one thing that I would say is, yeah, you're probably an overshare. That's like me. I have too much emotional expression. 
So the problem is sometimes we overshare the dark side of that is we can make people feel pressured to reciprocate, right? We might, you know, totally. in fact, right. We, we might make people, um, Brene Brown calls it floodlighting, right? Like I'm, you know, I used to date someone that I would shower him with affection, but it was too much for him. He, he didn't grow up in a family that shared the, I love you's. So I really had to uh, curtail how much how much affection I would show him because he really felt uncomfortable. Well, it's the same thing. If you share too much in the office, probably the strategy I would suggest for you is to share less, to set up some boundaries, to not tell everyone your deepest, darkest secrets, especially if you're trying to build a team. You can be friendly to the people you work with. You don't have to be friends. And so probably my guess is a lot of young people like yourself struggle with that. They don't know the difference between being friendly and being friends and how much should I share and how, how little should I share. And you know what makes that even more difficult? Um, and this is a question that was sent in from our listeners as well. And please feel free if you have any questions to message me directly instead of that raise hand function. Working remotely has been a challenge. It's something new we haven't done before. It's only we've only been remote first or, you know, fully remote for the past few years. Any tips for those who are working remotely versus working um, face-to-face to properly express their boundaries and to still build on their emotional intelligence? Yeah, great question, Emily. Thank you. And whoever asked that, that's a great question. It's, it's a question I get asked a lot. And it depends if you're a hybrid, um, you know, if you're if, if you're sometimes in the office uh, versus uh, working only from home. I think the key is I go, I go back to my three questions, which is connection, appreciation and fulfillment. So if you're working remotely, how do you need to feel connected to me and the team? So some of my employees need because I our, our entire office is remote. So, and we've always been remote prior to the pandemic and, and, um, and, and now, and, um, you know, one employee might say, yeah, I need daily check-ins with you, Carolyn, to feel connected to you and the team. Whereas another employee I have only needs to check in with me once a week. Well, that tells me how to lead each of those employees. For one, if I ask them, hey, how do you need to feel appreciated for your efforts? Well, one employee might say, well, actually, I need you to say, you know, give me words of affirmation. Tell me I'm doing a good job. Tell me specifically what I'm doing a good job about. Whereas another employee might just need time with me, some quality time and wants to, you know, go out for lunch with me or go for a walk um, during our break. You know, the third question is, you know, how do you need to feel fulfilled in your role? Well, one employee might say to me, hey, I really want to take a course in, you know, and in, in, in upskill um, my skill sets. And another employee might say, I need work-life balance. And so it's really about figuring out what each employee needs. There is no, there is no one golf club to play golf, right? We have a series of clubs and each club okay. is needed for a different purpose. It's the same thing. You cannot use the same leadership style for every employee because every employee is going to have a different competency and a different level of motivation for each task. And so it's really important to figure out, hey, Emily, do you need to have daily check-ins when you do the budget or do you need to mm -hmm. have daily check-ins when you write a blog? Each task is different. Maybe you do need check-ins daily when you're writing a blog because it's something you're not as comfortable with versus a budget. So it's really kind of figuring out and asking your employees. And my mother once said, even though I have an overprotective mother, she gave me a lot of great advice and it's peppered throughout my book. But one of the things she once said to me, you've got two ears and one mouth, use them accordingly. So listen twice as much as you talk. So as a leader, ask more questions. And then to set up boundaries from being remote and where our boundaries are now blurred, you need to decide, you know, when is enough enough? Can you use that yes and, as I said? So yes, you can reach out to me. I might not get back to you unless it's an emergency until the next day, right? So you can still be polite and set up a boundary, but still say what is okay and what's not okay. And letting your people know what is okay and what's not okay is critical. In addition to boundaries, and this is another question um, from our audience member as well today, it's hard sometimes, especially in the remote world and working with different 
people and groups and, you know, genders and, and folks of walks of all life. But sometimes it's hard to be your authentic self. A question we received from, from the audience today is that this individual believes that they're emotionally intelligent. However, they are a queer person working in an environment, mostly non, non-emotionally intelligent men. They feel like they're living in a paradox and they have to deal with that. What are some ways to navigate um, navigate this type of workplace as they want to be their authentic self? However, they have to mask that and they're emotionally aware that they have to mask that. Well, I guess the first question I would ask is, is that the story they're telling themselves or is that the truth? And a lot of us, if that is the truth that and that might be the truth, then maybe challenge your truth, right? Check in. So you might you know, again, it depends on what kind of a psychologically safe environment you're a part of. If you don't feel safe to ask these questions, but if I was um, not feeling like I could be my true self, because to me, what EI is, what emotional intelligence is, is speaking my truth respectfully and professionally. So I might say, hey, I'm feeling really uncomfortable, you know, when some of these comments are made or whatever's said in the office that's making this person feel like they can't really be their authentic self. And so I always use the communication model. When you did blank, I felt blank. What I'd like you to do in the future is blank. And how it will benefit us is blank. And so I'll share a story to hopefully help this person with their situation. But there was a, I was at a fitness resort um, speaking at an an event and a woman came up to me. and, And what you'll read in the book is, The book has actually helped me on a personal level. I'm now down 130 pounds. So I've like, I'm lost a a person. So I was twice my size. A woman came up to me and I was wearing Lululemon at the time when I wasn't speaking. It was a fitness resort for goodness sake. So I was working out and a woman came up to me and said, oh my God, I can't believe they make Lululemon that big. My sister's about as fat as you. What size is that? And Emily, like my heart sunk. It hurt me to the core because... I mean, I've always been very self-conscious about my weight, whether big or small. And this person really did not make me feel safe. And so in the moment, I just mumbled, you know, what size they were. And back then, Lululemon only went up to a size 12. Um, And for those listeners, Marilyn Monroe was a size 14. So a size 12 is not that big of a size for those Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank goodness, Lululemon has now been much more inclusive and I think goes up to a size 20 or 24 now. So I'm really happy to hear that. But anyways, I was devastated and I wanted to leave this resort. And the next day I thought, I can't let this happen. I can't let this woman make me want to leave. So the next day I went up to the woman and said, can I speak to you? And this is what I said. I said, when you said, I can't believe they make Lululemon that big. My sister's about as fat as you. What size is that? I felt hurt. And what I'd like you to do in the future is know the impact of your words. And of course, the woman, you know, was backpedaling and saying, oh, I'm so sorry. You have such a pretty face or whatever she said. It didn't matter. What mattered is I stood up for that myself. And so if this person is really wanting to be authentic and be their true self, whatever that self is, then I think speak their truth. Now, the reason why I didn't say to the woman, hey, when you judged me, because that's a judgment, I literally repeated back what that person said. So why I asked the question, is this the story they're telling themselves? Because a lot of times we're, we're making assumptions and interpretations by what we see. But what a real observation is, is what you touch, taste, see, hear, all of our using our five senses. So why I repeated back what she said to me is I could have easily said, when you judged me, I felt hurt. But that's a judgment on her words. Why I repeated back what I heard is then I can tell her what that made me feel. Because no one can make you feel anything without your consent. You do that all by yourself. So if this person that asked this question, it's a fabulous question, and I would love this person to reach out to me so I can share more of my thoughts because I'd love to know more about the context. But if this person is not feeling safe, the question I would ask is what are the behaviors that their leaders are showing them to make them not feel safe and make them not feel like they can be their authentic self? And then are they brave enough to have that conversation to say, you know, when you did blank, whatever that is, I felt blank. 
And what I'd like you to do in the future is blank. And in, the, in my story, the reason why I didn't do the last part, which is how it will benefit us, is I was never going to see this woman again um, at the resort. So I just ended it with the third point, which is what I'd like you to do in the future, which is me being assertive and setting a boundary. So I know that's a very long answer to a very short question, but it's a really important question. And I think you need to know what your culture of your company is. What, are you feeling psychologically safe to share these things? And if you're not, maybe that's not the right company for you. If you truly, if your values are to be in a, your authentic self, then don't you want to join a company that likes you for you, all of you? And truly, I, I think that's how you define career success is a good way to round us out for, for today and this evening and afternoon. Thank you, Carolyn, today for, for joining us. Um, and I know I have personally bought your book via Amazon, um, The Emotionally Strong Leader. However, for those on this call who are truly inspired or just interested in learning more about their EI emotional intelligence and, and wanting to grow their EQ as well, please feel free to purchase Carolyn. Carolyn's book, The Emotionally Strong Leader, via Amazon or her website, carolynsterns.com backslash book. For those who didn't catch that, the link will be sent out to you after this event as well. And thank you so much for joining us today. Do you have any last words for our audience? I just want to say to everyone, your emotions are not the enemy. Make friends with your feelings. Feelings are just feelings, not good or bad, right or wrong. They're just an emotional reaction. And really, the whole reason I wrote the book is I was sick and tired of people being so afraid of their feelings. We need, we feel things every day. <laughs> We're human. And we need to start learning how to recognize, understand, label, express, and manage our emotions. And as I said in the book, the very first quote, you can be emotional and strong, they are not mutually exclusive. So I am an emotional person. I feel things deeply. I cry a lot. And I'm also a really strong person. And I know how to make good decisions. And you can be both. And so my, my takeaway for all of you is stop being so gar gosh darn afraid of our emotions. They're just feelings. They're not facts. Um, they can be factual. They're incredibly personal, but if you can be an objective bystander of your feelings, that's where the magic happens. And we all have this superpower within us. Thank you. Those were amazing last words. And I'm going to take that with me into my everyday work for sure. Um, I'm emotional and I'm strong. Absolutely. Definitely the best closeout statement of the day. Um, thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you for all our listeners out there for joining us this afternoon, this evening, wherever you're located. And I hope you thought this conversation was as fruitful as I did. And thank you again for, for being here with us today on Fishbowl Live. That's all, folks. Thanks again for listening to Hardly Working. Join us live next time and talk directly to the speakers and, who knows, end up here. Fishbowl is a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can download Fishbowl on the App Store or Google Play. If you want to host a Fishbowl live event, get in touch at live at fishbowlapp.com. See you soon! <laughs>